Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. As summer approaches, we're going to talk about hitting the road for family history in this June 2011 episode of the podcast. First, we'll start off with a check on the genealogy news with the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Then we'll hit the road in our top tips segment with genealogist and author Lisa Alzo, who's going to share some tips from her upcoming article, The Research Trip Survival Kit. Then in our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots, we'll take a look at the Early American Roads and Trails website. Then our own in-house preservationist, Grace Dobish, will be here again with another installment of Safekeeping, talking about travel, souvenirs, and heirlooms. And in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Grace will return in her role as Dean and Community Coordinator of Family Tree University and share some tips from the state's webinar series. And finally, we'll check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who has a fantastic deal for you on the ultimate research trip collection at Shop Family Tree. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the genealogy news with Diane Haddad. Okay, we're going to kick off this episode with news from the blogosphere, and here to join us and give us the scoop is the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi. Well, Diane, there's been a lot of genealogy on television, of course, in the last couple of years, Um, but there was something new and unique in the world Mm -hmm. of celebs on uh, television doing their family history, and you were posting about it. Tell us about it. Yeah, there was a documentary... um, on VH1, which is, everyone knows, a sister site to MTV. It was a rock doc, which is when they look inside, um, you know, a rock group or a a rock star. And in this rock doc, it's called 50 Cent, The Origin of Me. Rapper 50 Cent researched his genealogy in South Carolina. So it's sort of an unusual topic, probably, for VH1. Now, before we go into the episode, I'm curious, was this family history approach unique to this episode or are other celebs exploring their family tree? This was a unique uh, topic for VH1. Um, the Rock Docs series covers different aspects of um, okay. of rock music. So, But I did get a chance to talk to the one of the producers of the show and he said it's not out of the question to do more, you know, because they did see a high interest level. Really? That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, so when we think of 50 Cent, who's, you know, a rapper, and and uh, it was really interesting. I got a chance to, although I missed it on television, uh, thanks mm-hmm. to you, I heard that it was available online. So I will have a link for all of you listening so that you can go and watch it on the VH1 website um, and stream it online. But I thought it was really well done, actually, probably more so than I expected. What did you think? Yeah, I thought so, too. I think a lot of genealogists probably would not consider themselves in VH1's demographic. I don't consider myself (laughs) in VH1's demographic. Um, And so maybe they weren't expecting um, a lot. And the producer, David Camp, he said that they were wanting to introduce genealogy to what he called the urban hip-hop generation. Um, But I still think that, you know, a, a 
someone who considers themselves a, a genealogist already would probably be very interested. He goes to archives in South Carolina. He talks to his family members, visits his great-grandfather's grave site, you know, the kinds of things that genealogists do. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I loved the segment that they did when uh, he got down there and he met the guy who was kind of the, the archivist for Dave the Slave, mm-hmm. who was a potter. And in fact, as the, as the gentleman was sharing these different pots that he had created, he was showing all the rhyming. He was calling him like the first rapper. <laughs> I thought that was really great. Right. right. And I actually asked uh, David Camp about that. And he said they wanted to show um, 50 Cent sort of pulled himself out of, um, you know, a ghetto that he grew up in and this Dave the Slave was able to do the same for himself to pull himself out of kind of the obscurity of slavery and make a name for himself. Yeah, with thousands of, of pots that he created. And, and and that's really interesting because I think the as I was watching him that experience, he seemed like he he didn't really behave like the rapper the whole time. What did you think about that and the way he interacted with his relatives? I didn't think so either. I don't. I'm not a huge rap fan, and and so I, I guess I was expecting more of a you know an, an attitude. Yeah. I guess, <laughs> and that to me wasn't evident at all at the beginning. Um, in order to establish him as a rapper, they show him um, rapping, and there are some bleeps in there. So you know if that's offensive to anybody, it's not a long segment. Um, and it's sort of, it's to give you an idea of, of what 50 Cent does. Mm-hmm. And then there there's no more need to bleep in the rest of the episode. He's like a normal person. Yeah, he he wasn't uh, saying words need to be bleeped in front of the the elderly people in his family who no. <laughs> looked like they were in charge. <laughs> <Okay> so, <there. laughs> And to the archivist, he, um, you know, he scrolls through the census and asks questions, um, puts things together. You can kind of see the wheels turning as someone who's not familiar with genealogy research, when he gets started, you can see him processing things that he learns. Right. He kept saying, I thought I was just going to come here and find out about my grandpa. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty amazed to go back so far. He visited a couple museums that would sort of give him, give him an idea of um, what his ancestor's life was like. And it was sort of interesting. He went to a museum um, that was a house of a plantation owner, someone who had owned slaves. And he sort of covered some controversial topics with the docent there about the symbolism of the Confederate flag and how the slaves might have been treated there. And so there's there are some uncomfortable moments and you know there, but... I think it's handled pretty well with a show that doesn't try to take sides. Right, exactly. They kind of just let it lay there, and mm-hmm. you kind of interpret it yourself, right. which I thought was really interesting. Right. And, and finally, um, I know that you talked to the producer. Were, did you have an opportunity to talk to some of the researchers involved with the show? I didn't. He was the person, he was my um, my contact there, the only person I was able to speak with. Oh, oh the producer was. Okay. Right. And Very cool. I am hoping to put some more of that interview in a magazine article to share pe- with people more, you know, what we talked about. 
Oh, terrific. Well, um, so we've got that to look forward to. And in the show notes for this episode, I'm going to post the link that goes directly to Diane's summary of the episode. And then, of course, the link where you can watch it for yourself. It's real interesting. I think it'd be worth watching, even if you're not familiar with who 50 Cent is. uh, Chances are your kids or your grandkids are. Mm -hmm. And pretty fascinating and maybe something that we could even share with the young people in our family as well. Yes. Sounds terrific. Well, so much going on all the time. Thanks so much, Diane, for keeping us up to date. You're welcome. Top Tips segment is coming to you this month from the Southern California Genealogical Society Jamboree in Burbank, California. And joining me poolside is Lisa Alzo. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here because you wrote the perfect article that just fits right in with our theme this month. And it's called the Research Trip Survival Kit. And this is coming from the July 2011 issue of the magazine. Um, You have here as your subtitle, Hitting the Road in Search of Your Roots. Don't leave home without these 21 essentials. So that's what we're doing this summer. We're, We're hitting the road. And you have some really great ideas just lined out here to help us, I think, not only make the most of our time, but probably save a few pennies in the process, right? What are some of your main tips for people who want to get out and hit the road this summer? The first thing is to have sort of a plan. So you want to have your research materials. uh, If you're going on a family research trip, you want to make sure you download all the essential maps and hours of operation and know where you're going and sort of have an itinerary. You want to leave a little flexibility to, in case something pops up and you're unexpectedly stumbling on a cemetery or you meet a relative and you need time to do an oral history interview. So you you want to schedule, but you want to leave a little free time too. So that's one essential thing. And then probably the next thing is is gadgets. And and we we can't leave home without our technology, right? That's right. (laughs) And so I always travel with my netbook computer. I know people have iPads. I just got an iPad and I'm learning how to use it. But the more portable, the better. Also, you want a USB or a flash drive to uh, store extra material. Uh, And uh, there may be some other gadgets you want, like I have a uh, MiFi card, a uh, internet card, because uh, internet on the road can be very expensive yes. at hotels and so forth. And it may be worth your, if you're doing a lot of traveling, it may be worth looking into your uh, one of these cards. Uh, any of the phone providers have that. So those are a few things I, I bring with me. Yeah, I use one. Uh, it's a, a Verizon. I guess I call it a hotspot. Mm-hmm. And what I love is that I might be traveling for this certain season of several months in a row, but then there might be a couple of months where I'm home, and they actually allow me to kind of switch it off for the time so you don't have to keep paying that fee each month and then you can turn it back on when you're ready to hit the road again right and and here i noticed you're talking about you know the flash drive and the different gadgets that you take and you talk about that term we hear about which is that cloud computing the idea of you know not everything has to be stored on the gadget itself we can reach some of our at-home files while we're on the road right maybe uh, what google docs might be an option or dropbox So I use Google Docs. I store 
I can store documents. I use the photo uh, album on Google to store photos. So if I'm going to meet relatives, I can just pull it up quickly on my laptop. And I also use Dropbox, which is great because it can sync with your desktop computer, your laptop computer. You can sync as many computers as you want. And so that, that gives you easy access to your files anywhere. And uh, you don't have to worry necessarily about having a flash drive or a USB drive. And, and, and then there's less to lose because it's all in the cloud. Exactly. And so I, I find both of those very useful. Absolutely. And then there's kind of the practical matters. And, and I liked that you talked about luggage and you talked about having a money belt. Um, oh my gosh, our neighbors just went on a, a big trip and they had to cut it five weeks short. They were touring some ancestral locations in Europe and they had set the money down in a belt on a, a chair in a restaurant in Scandinavia and somebody walked off with it within minutes. So it's really important to keep security in mind as we're traveling, isn't it? Absolutely. And I find the less luggage you have to lug, the better. Yeah. And for me, right. <laughs> and for me, I try to, you know, really condense what I take, take things I can mix and match. And I, I find it, it easier, especially because I have to carry a lot of computer gadgets. I want to have a, an e a backpack that's easy for me to, to use. Some people like the rolling kind, some people like the regular kind. I find with my luggage, if I have to go for more than three days, I tend to use FedEx or use a service to, to ship it to the hotel and then ship it back. And it's cheaper than the airlines at most times. And charging for luggage now. Right, exactly. And so I, you know, I can ship my dress clothes and everything I need. Uh, and it's waiting for me at the hotel. And then I just ship it back home. And then through security, one, two, three, with my, my knapsack, just put everything down. And I don't have to worry about lugging all this luggage all over the place. So I, I find Particularly I find if you're easy. lucky enough to acquire some things while you're on the road. I mean, isn't that the, what we're really hoping for is maybe, you know, collecting some items along the way. You always do. And, you know, especially if you're going to conferences, you know, yeah. you want to, you want to buy books or you want to buy some things, you know, t-shirts or souvenirs or DVDs or CDs or whatever yeah. it is you're buying. And, and so if you leave a little room in your suitcase and, and you can ship it back, if you don't need it right away, that always helps too. I find it, I find it more convenient, but there's, there's so many uh, other tips in the article, you know, both, you know, basic things that you, you want to take and also, you know, both traditional and technology-related things. So, uh, and, 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 and one of the other things I find is to be safe, too, when you travel. So I found, you know, take only what you need. You know, always have backups. Um, you always have inventory. You know, make sure you have good passwords, especially if you're logging into free Wi-Fi. Yes. You know, change your passwords when you get back home. Those are other tips I offer. All great tips. So many things to think about. In some ways, the technology makes the, the trip easier to collect what we're looking for, and yet it does complicate things in a way. Uh, my number one thing is I have to do that double, triple check. Did I have my power cord for each one of these little gadgets that I brought along? And, and that certainly saves the day. Wonderful ideas here. Again, the article is called The Research Trip Survival Kit. And she really does have 21 essential supplies here that uh, are worth putting on your checklist so that you don't get caught without those things that you need to get the research done. Lisa, it's always great to have you on the show, and it's so fun to get to do this in person. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. I really enjoyed it. Since we 
we are hitting the road in this episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, it seems only appropriate to explore a website dedicated to family history and geography from our 101 best websites for tracing your roots list. The Early American Roads and Trails website is published by Beverly Whitaker. She's a professional genealogist and author located in Kansas City, Missouri, who is keenly interested in the influence geography has on both history and genealogy. You can find the Early American Road and Trails website at freepages.genealogy.rootsweb.ancestry.com slash tilde gen tutor slash trails dot html. That's a long one. I'll have it for you in the show notes. If you have ancestors who lived in the U.S. in the pioneer days, then very likely one of the major early American trails and roads to the far west play a role in your family tree. Therefore, it's important to try to determine the migration trails of your ancestors and learn more about them. And the Road Trails website is a terrific place to start. There you're going to find the American Migration Trail Fact Sheets. Each of these fact sheets is a two-page PDF format document with five sections. They include traffic, features, timeline, route, and a map sketch. At the end of each trail summary found on the website's homepage, you'll find a link to the related PDF document. These fact sheets are listed in chronological order covering migration trails, such as from the colonial era, trails like the Boston Post Road, the Great Valley Wagon Road, all the way to trails leading to beyond the eastern shores, such as the Natchez Trace and the Chicago Road, to trails that opened up the west like the Santa Fe, Mormon, and Oregon trails. On the website, you'll also find a link to another of Beverly's websites called the American Rivers and Waterways, which provides even more information on pathways for migration, commerce, and entertainment. It includes links to additional websites covering canals, lakes, and rivers, a mini glossary of terms, and a set of links focusing on the boats that were used on the rivers. So to get the most out of the Early American Roads and Trails website, Beverly suggests that you investigate the possibilities by noting the dates of special events in your family history and by comparing the locations of those events to the routes of the old roads and trails. Specifically, she suggests the following steps. Using a family group sheet and an outline map of the United States, place circles on the locations of births, marriages, deaths, deeds, wills, etc., and connect the circles with a line. And of course, for those of you who have uh, checked out my Genealogy Gems podcast, you know that one of my focuses is in using Google Earth for genealogy, and this is the perfect type of project to use Google Earth for. You can learn more about Google Earth for genealogy by going to shopfamilytree.com, where you'll find our two-part video series. It's a DVD set, which you can pick up individually or as a bundle. Her second suggestion here is to contact your regional historical societies, the library reference and or local history department or area genealogical societies. These are great resources for finding old maps and county histories. Her third suggestion is to visit her bibliography list for recommended reading. And in the section labeled Migration Trails, you'll find her favorite books are highlighted in pink. Step number four would be to follow web links specifically recommended by Beverly Whitaker at the American Migration Patterns website. And the next step would be to follow links at Cindy's list for migration routes, 
roads and trails. And then finally, Beverly suggests conducting internet searches related to your search using keywords from the migration trails in conjunction with your family history. Beverly's family history philosophy is simple and clear. Genealogy plus history plus geography equal enriched heritage. Hi, everybody. This is Grace, the preservation expert here at Family Tree Magazine. Everybody's talking a lot about travel this month, which should make you wonder, did your ancestors get around much? Some heirlooms can actually give you clues about your ancestors' vacations. I'll tell you about four souvenirs your ancestors may have passed on in this edition of Safekeeping. First up, we have the common postcard. Obviously, if your ancestor kept postcards mailed to him or her, the ancestor wasn't the one doing the traveling that time. Unmailed postcards could be indicative of souvenirs of travel. If the postcard has no postmark or date on it, there are a few tricks to figuring out what era it's from. Postcards became very popular in the 1870s, but it wasn't until 1898 that private firms were allowed to produce mailing cards in the U.S. Cards before 1907 didn't have the common divider line down the middle of the back, and writing wasn't allowed on the address side until that time, so messages had to be written over the artwork on the card. The iconic white-bordered postcard was actually a way for printers to save ink. That was common from 1915 to about 1930. Modern color photograph postcards were introduced in 1939. If you've got heirloom postcards, store them in clear polyethylene sleeves. Around 1890, U.S. silversmiths started making souvenir spoons for special events and places. This was already a big trend in Europe, and it caught on like gangbusters in the States. Spoons were made for tourist attractions, religious events, world fairs, political campaigns, and in commemoration of pretty much anything. This went on for about 30 years. Though you can still find cheap commemorative cutlery today, they likely won't be as beautiful as the spoons of the late 19th and early 20th centuries, which were made of sterling or silver plate. If your ancestor brought any spoons home from their travels, you should keep them in silver cloth, which will help them from becoming tarnished. Handkerchiefs were more than just precursors to the modern-day box of Kleenex. Since about 1760, printed kerchiefs were produced to commemorate wars, political campaigns, and large events such as the World Fair. They were an affordable and substantial souvenir that was easy to transport. Printers used fabrics such as silk, cotton, linen, and calico. You can usually determine a handkerchief's age by the subject matter or the image. For example, many servicemen purchased Asian motif silk handkerchiefs during World War II and the Korean War. You should store handkerchiefs flat between unbleached linen or acid-free tissue paper in an archival quality corrugated box or in a treated wooden chest or drawer. And finally, thimbles were a popular gift for women of all ages for many years. Souvenir thimbles were better quality and more ornate than the ones used for day-to-day mending, and many went unused because they were considered too special for regular sewing, or they didn't fit. Souvenir thimbles might be made of porcelain, silver, wood, glass, ivory, bone, early plastics, or celluloid. The preservation measures you take for a thimble will depend on the material. Silver ones should be stored in silver cloth. Porcelain and glass thimbles can be stored in individual unbleached linen bags or go on display. 
early plastics and celluloid are going to be very fragile. Celluloid should be stored by itself in a breathable glass, ceramic, or acid-resistant plastic container in an area with low humidity and low temperatures. You can learn more about preserving your ancestors' souvenirs on the podcast show notes page. Until next time, stay safe. In this Family Tree University Crash Course segment, I've invited one of our favorite contributors here on the podcast, Grace Dobush, to join me to talk about something that is in addition to the classes that you see in Family Tree University, it's the state webinars. Welcome back to the podcast, Grace. Oh, thank you, Lisa. Um, I know that you've held several state webinars and you're going through this series where you're helping us figure out all the different strategies for approaching each state in the union and all the different variations of things we may run into in terms of our research. Tell us about the state webinar series and maybe some of the ones that you've already held. Sure. We've we've done eight of the states so far. Uh, California, Georgia, Massachusetts, Missouri, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and South Carolina. And um, you know, our if you remember our state research guide series in the magazine, those yeah. like four-page pullouts, everyone loved those. So we thought, why don't we take it a little bit more in depth? And so these webinars are one-hour sessions hosted by either me or another editor of Family Tree Magazine or one of our FTU instructors or one of our magazine contributors. And then sometimes we have expert guests too, such as... Uh, professional genealogists working in that state, librarians who are the best, um, archivists, historians. Uh, sometimes we get somebody from the uh, NEHGS to speak with us. And we do this every month. Um, this month, in June, is the New Jersey webinar. And then in July, we're planning to have Virginia and Illinois in August. Oh, those sound great. I mean, I can think of how all of them apply at some point to my family tree. And that's really the case, isn't it? As we're doing our research, we find we branch off this direction and branch off that direction. And we find ourselves in a new state that we're just not that familiar with and, and not sure how the resources are laid out. So you've really tapped into a lot of the experts out there who have those answers, which I love. It's really true. And especially we find that a lot of the people who take part in our state webinars are researching from out of state, which is exactly yeah. what you're talking about. You know, say you're in Virginia, and all of a sudden you find out you've got an ancestor who was in Illinois, you know, you can't necessarily get out there to dig into court records on your own. Um, so we try to tailor these webinars to researchers who are researching long distance and just need a little help to get started. Right. Now you have the great advantage because so often you're moderating these webinars. You get to sit in and listen. It's true. And <laughs> take, absorb all this information. What What are some of your favorite tips that you've kind of picked up over the the beginning here of the series? You know, well, well, one thing, um, and this is just totally personal, but I've I've come to the conclusion that genealogy librarians just know absolutely everything. Sure so they are my it. favorite people <laughs> to call on. Um, but you know, one resource that we always mention in these webinars is the Newberry Library's uh, Atlas of Historical County Boundaries Project. Oh, yes, and that is just an amazing resource. They spent a long time putting this together. It's an interactive map that um, 
shows historical county boundaries for basically any date you input. And um, this is for every state in the union, and you can you know, get as specific as a certain day in you know, 1834. What did the county boundaries of Ohio look like at that time? And then refresh it. And if you're the type of person that uses Google Maps, you can also export files to add to layers in your own map work. Um, so that's just an amazing resource that I can't talk enough about. Oh, you're singing my song, Grace. You know me. <laughs> Google Earth for genealogy is, totally. is uh, one of my favorites. And you're right. I mean, this is such an amazing resource. Remember the days when we used to pull our genealogical helper book off the shelf and try to look through and find the map and see if we could figure out when the where the boundaries were. Here, it's all online. Yeah, and you don't even have to leave your house. Yeah, love it. And then you can incorporate it into all these other maps where, that we're putting together because it's, it's really all about visualizing them. And, and those are the unique things that we pick up in these webinars, those resources that, that the state librarians, the genealogical librarians and archivists, these are what they're using, right? Absolutely. And also, you know, people get to ask a question. If they register for a live webinar, you can submit a question about, you know, a, a common research problem you've had with that specific state. And we try to get to as many of the questions as we can during the session. But if you purchased a recording of the webinar, uh, you don't have that option. So that's one benefit to getting in on the live session. Um, but right. uh, I know with Thomas McKenty, who is going to be hosting the New Jersey webinar, this month. He, for example, has given us a little teaser about what he's going to talk about there. And he mentions that New Jersey ancestors may not have left marriage records because many of them liked to leave the state to get married on vacation. So he is going to clue us in on a couple common, uh, very popular wedding and honeymoon spots for New Jersey people. Ah. So that's one of the types of things that you'll learn in these webinars. Something only the locals know, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, that sounds terrific. Now, of course, if we are on the Family Tree Magazine newsletter list, we're going to hear about the live sessions. Also, of course, if you go into Facebook and you like the Family Tree Magazine page, you're going to see notifications of the live webinar sessions. But Grace, if we missed one, how can we get a hold of the recordings? Oh, yeah. All of the past webinars are available on shopfamilytree.com. Um, all eight state webinars that we've done so far, as well as any other webinars we've done. And um, you can also sign up for the familytreeuniversity.com newsletter, um, because I, I put that out every two weeks, and I always make sure to mention which webinars on states are coming up next. Oh, wonderful. Well, hey, thanks so much. And uh, we will also look forward to hearing about your preservation tip for this month on the on the episode. Thanks so much, Grace. Thank you. Well, we are going to uh, check in at the editor's desk, but in a very special location this month, and that is at the Southern California Genealogical Jamboree. And so welcome back to the show, Allison. Thanks, Lisa. Excited to be here. Boy, it's just humming along. There's so much going on here. But before we talk about Jamboree, um, you've got so much going on. You've got some terrific resources, I think, support some of the things we've been talking about on today's episode. What's the kit this month? Sure, it's the ultimate research trip collection, and we know that everyone's going to be out and about doing their work in the field, literally, uh, this summer. And so this collection has a 
a lot of great resources to help you do that. One new item in there is the Genealogist Research Tip Planner. It's an ebook that we've made exclusively for this kit. It's not currently available outside of the kit, so um, it's got great information about planning in particular because then we know that's the key to a successful research trip but then there's also some checklists and forms in there that I think a lot of people would find helpful you can just print those out and take them with you um, one of my favorite elements is the family tree pocket reference this is a book we put out last year and it is literally pocket size so um, as you're out and about in the genealogy world of libraries and cemeteries and archives you can just slip this in your pocket and have all the information you need right there at your fingertips and I love that because we're all notorious for carrying too much stuff around anyway. So, I mean, it's a nice small size, and yet it's just packed full of information. That It's that stuff you think, now what was that again? And you can go quickly look it up, and you don't have to leave the library. Exactly. Lots of little factoids and charts and graphs and glossaries and um, other information like that that comes in really handy. Um, I mentioned cemeteries a couple of minutes ago, and, you know, this is a perfect time when a lot of people, the weather's nice, they want to oh, get yeah. out there and tromp through those cemeteries, and a couple of resources in the kit will help you with that. First is a Cemetery Research 101 course from Family Tree University. There's an independent study version that comes in the kit, so you can just download that and get lots of how-tos and help for making the most of your cemetery research. And then, uh, sort of a fun preservation aspect, we have a new, it's a new product to the store. It's the Old Stone Gravestone Rubbing Kit. And it includes some rubbing wax, which is like a special crayon that's shaped in an ideal way to get lots of surface on the stone for your tombstone rubbing and then some paper that you can use nice big paper to um, make the rubbing and a little instruction booklet and um, you'll be all set wow you took all this away and you're going to be ready to hit the road and you know how fun now some of these as you said are digital materials so you're going to get those as soon as you make the purchase but then there'll be other things being shipped to you and it's all packaged for an amazing deal i don't know how you guys do that <laughs> What's the total cost on the package? The price of the kit is $59.99. It's a $160 value, roughly, so it's almost a savings of 60%. And it's only available in June, so act fast. Um, we have 100 available, and I think they're already over 60 sold. So don't wait. If okay. you want it, go now. Good, because this episode's coming out mid-June, so you'll want to um, run on over to Shop Family Tree, and you can pick that up. And, of course, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. So finally, here, um, you're here at the Jamboree. This is pretty cool. They just just do more and more every year, don't they? What are you looking forward to doing while you're here? Well, this is my first Jamboree, so I'm getting to kind of take it all in, and it really is a nice facility and a very um, engaging event. Lots of things going on, and I think what I'm looking forward to most is on Sunday when we tape our uh, episode of your Genealogy Gems podcast, and I will be one of the featured guests. Uh, we're going to do a little game, do a little giveaways. It's going to be a lot of fun. We are. We've got a quiz set up and, I'm, and I've even told Allison we're going to do our Oprah moment. So I'm going to sit down and really find out who the real Allison Stacy is. So you'll have to tune in to Genealogy Gems podcast because that is coming up. You're such a good sport. Thank you so much. And it is so great to have you here in my neck of the woods in California in person. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this June 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. 
Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis at blog.familytreemagazine.com insider. Next, head on over to familytreemagazine.com podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's episode, including the Early American Roads and Trails website. Then stop by shopfamilytree.com by the end of June of 2011, and you can pick up that ultimate research trip collection that Allison told us about. This is a terrific package, and it includes the Genealogist Research Trip Planner Download, the Family Tree Pocket Reference, Cemetery Research 101 Family Tree University Independent Study Course Download, and the Gravestones Rubbing Kit. If you have any questions or comments, email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. And both of those shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. Family tree.